0: To a very special edition of The Raw, your Sunderland Echo SAFC podcast, where I'm delighted to say that we are joined to chat all things League One, the remainder of the 2019-20 season, and maybe a little bit of Netflix with Peterborough United chairman Darren McAnthony. Thanks for joining us, Darren.
1: Always a pleasure. How are you, pal?
0: Yeah, good, thank you. Yourself enjoying it in sunny Florida?
1: <sighs> yeah, climbing the walls, desperate to get out, <laughs> like everyone else. Mad times we live in, but yeah, I'm all good, I'm all good, I'm all good.
0: And how is it in America, obviously, you're reading about what it is in, in England, what, what's it like in America in the current kind of climate?
1: To be fair, I mean, you know, obviously, trying to explain this to people on Twitter, is always funny, you know, it's like, oh my God, the, the, the America's just soaring with the death rates and this, that, but the reality is actually America's probably better than most other places because there's 330 million people that live here. And when you look at it, this, you never want to lose one life, so... But unfortunately, every country's gone through this. And if you look at the mortality rate here, I think it's like 4%. And in comparison to if you took Italy, France, Spain, and the UK and took 300 million people from there, I think the debt rate's nearly 12% there. So America's actually dealing with it quite well. I think the hospital, I think what everything now is in the mode of, including the UK, is they're preparing, they're trying to clear the hospitals so that you flatten the curve, we're all in isolation. So when we come out of isolation, when we go back to some sort of societal life, the hospitals are in a better position to cope. They've got all the PPE, they've got obviously better therapies, and they've got the staff to cope with if there is another surge. So that's what America, I think, is prepping for. And and thankfully now the, the White House here is giving guidance on how we've got to go back to society in three different phases, which is nice to see because when you're sat at home, worried and stressed, you want to see guidance on when's this going to end. And we know the pandemic's going to be here until they get a vaccine, and that could take who knows how long. But... When you see, look, phase one is you're able to go out, you can go for a coffee. Yes, you've got to wear a mask, you've got to wear gloves, but you're slowly getting back to some sort of life. You can go to the gym, you can go to a movie theater. There are all those things that are going to happen with phase reopening. So I actually think America's handled it really well and um, you know done a lot of testing as well. So I see what's happening in the UK where I used to live in Spain. I, was, I grew up in Spain and I see the debt rates are horrific in Spain and the UK. And then I see over here and it's kind of like mind-boggling you know, why mortality rates are so different in, in different countries. But look, it is what it is. We know this affects the most vulnerable. And I think I have been a big proponent of you can have both arguments of, you know, people screaming when you talk about football and talk about work. But you're allowed to talk about life after coronavirus. You're allowed to talk about wanting to go back to work because there's millions of people sat at home stressed and worried about the next paycheck and worried about how they're going to pay their bills and they've got kids and how they're going to go back to school and Suddenly, you're you're immoral if you want to have that conversation because people are dying everywhere. I understand people are dying everywhere, but people also want to have some form of hope. So um, you know, let's hope that uh, things improve. You know, majorly, everyone.
0: Obviously, you've been kept very busy with running a football club of your own. But mm. anyone who listens to your podcast, Hard Truth or listen, uh, follows you on yeah. Twitter, will know that you've also been watching Sun Until I Die on Netflix during this have. this break. I binge watched it two nights. Binge watched watch it. Watch. watch. So, what, what did you make then of of the documentary? And is it interesting for you as an owner of a League One club who, similarly to Sunderland, are going for promotion to see what life's like somewhere else? Uh,
1: you know, the, the irony is Peterborough, just before I bought Peterborough, they were the first really to the whole documentary thing with the big role manager. Yeah. That of would course. be your like prequel to Sunderland back in the day, you know, before Netflix even existed, you know, and they were selling videos instead of online streaming. And, um, I've been approached many times over the years. I've been, I was offered 200 grand a couple of years ago to do a similar thing that someone had done. And I've always kind of said no to it because I didn't want to invade the manager's privacy. And after the big wrong fiasco, I'm not sure I will them put us out there, particularly with kind of characters, myself and Bazar, you know, I'm, I, I would always be that
0: person who probably say the wrong thing on camera. So I'd get vilified by millions of people. TV met, gold you know? though, TV gold.
1: It is TV gold, but you know, look, I understand why Sunderland did it. I understand why Stuart Donald continued doing it for the next season. Um, I enjoyed the series. Uh, I enjoyed the Leeds one. I don't know if you saw the Leeds one as yeah, well. Yeah. That was really, really good. And, um, it, anything that gives a fan an insight into A, ownership, B, behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I, I really liked it. And, and, and watching Sunderland, and you have to say, you know, you see the training ground and the stadium and everything else, I'm watching it go, Jesus, what are they doing in League One? Because it's like, a Rolls-Royce football club, isn't it? And, I, and I'm not trying to butter up Sunderland fans and, and, and rim a load of people over all oh, the wonderful Sunderland are, but the reality is it's ridiculous that football club's and they want because everything from the fan base to the training ground to the stadium, everything about it's just like top tier, isn't it? And, and, and that's the madness of it.
0: I know you've touched on it in your own podcast, but obviously the main event everyone focuses on is that Will Grigg on deadline day. Yes, as yeah, said, I that's... enjoyed the deadline. You've said that's not uncommon, that you know, you've been hanging out of windows and all sorts on deadline day trying I mean, to get I mean, player signings it, over the line. If,
1: if they filled me on some of the deadlines over the years, the things that have happened, where I've had players waiting at gas stations where I've been arguing with clubs up to 10 minutes before deadlines finished about selling a player. I've had it both ways, selling players and buying players on deadline day. And What you have to understand is it's, it's price elasticity of demand. You know, somebody needs to play. Unfortunately for Sunderland, is, and this is where you could be probably critical of the hierarchy, but we've all probably been in this position. If you lose your league goal score and you leave it to the last hour or the last day to replace them, you are, excuse my language, am I allowed to curse
0: on this? but That's fine. We can bleep it out.
1: Yeah, you, you, yeah, you're, you know, if you, if you leave it, if I sell Ivan Tony a week before deadline day and I'm still looking to replace Ivan Tony at the deadline day, everybody knows my piggy bank's full. So everyone is going to try and get my jockeys around my ankles. You know what I mean? And basically get the best deal. And I don't blame Stewart. I, when I saw him, and, and fair play to him, he was passionate about wanting that striker. And, and I could look at it from his point of view that Will Grigg twice had won promotion for Wigan and scored a lot of goals. So you think it's basically a no-brainer. He's going to come in. He's going to basically carry on. And he's going to score the goals that you've just lost to France. Um, so where you could probably criticize is why take a million for a young player um, who's going to France When you just wait till the summer and okay you're not going to get the million I think they got a million in the end yeah so about one and a half yeah. People go abroad. yeah so so I suppose your decision there would be let it ride out let him ride off into the sunset if you win your promotions promotions worth probably 10-20 million to a club like Sunderland so whatever reason that was made he was allowed to go but I would never criticise an owner or a director of football for the business they do because I know our business moves minute to minute second to second and you know, yes, they probably overpaid for Will Grigg. Wigan very cleverly, you know, sniffed it all out and did what they did to get the best possible deal. That's just how football works. Now, Will Grigg should have come in and scored a load of goals. He didn't. But sometimes, you know, I'm massively into analytics and stats. And you always have to be careful of a player, not on the way down, but a player who is basically coming in on a lot more money. We go the other way. We usually bring players in and give them a chance. We don't pay them fortune. We want that young hungry. and. Um, but then again, I look at him and go. There's no reason why Wilfried couldn't score a lot of goals in League One. So whether that's down to a manager or a formation or whatever's going on, I don't know. And I don't know if he's been in the team recently or if he's been involved or, or you know. I, I know. I think they were trying to get him out on loan, weren't they? Yeah,
0: he, he dropped out the team, and there was a few offers in, in January. Uh...
1: Yeah, yeah. Agents contacted me about it. Do you know what I mean? And whatever else. So I, I knew the figures that were being thrown around. But look, what they did in deadline day, people might laugh about it, but. In, in their defence, this goes on at every football club. So, you know, I've been on one end of it and I've been on the receiving end of it. So that's just football. That is, you've just seen it live and brutal. Trust me, it goes on in the top. You know, that goes on in Premier League boardrooms. That goes on in Real Madrid's boardroom. You know, that's that's just the way the market
0: is. You touched on it there that Will Grid was was offered to you in January. Was that not an option that you guys looked at, obviously, with tell was...
1: No, he, he wasn't offered to us by Sunderland. It was an agent. And you never know what to believe with agents because, you know, my WhatsApp, for whatever reason, agents will get my number. So leading up to deadline day, you'll get a lot of agents sending you list of players. And he was one player that was on an agent's list and you can get them for these kind of wages. And no, you know, for me, it wasn't because we're in a really, really good place. We've got League One's best striker. We've obviously got League One's best teenage striker. And we've also got Dembele and Mo Ison, who we paid over a million for, has already got 16 league goals. So we actually didn't need a striker. So it wasn't a case of oh, Will Briggs available. Any other time, if it was a situation where we needed a striker, I wouldn't have been against it because, like I said to you, he's been prolific at this mm-hmm. level, you know. And 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 I don't know what happens when some players go to clubs and it just doesn't come off, you know. But Will Griggs is definitely a top top striker at the league one level. I think we'd all agree with that.
0: You've obviously watched that, but you've also been trying to run a club in England from Florida yeah. over this period. How how has that been? Obviously, with having a liaison with players with staff from your base in America while all this has been going on in England?
1: Really difficult, mentally really difficult as well. Um, So, you know, and I spoke about this in my podcast a couple of episodes ago about mental health and keeping yourself um, in a routine where you're in a good place because you can easily fall into a bad place at times like this, you know? So what I try and do is, you know, I've got my pad next to me here. Every day I lay out the things I want to do. You know, like today it's like calling my manager at 11.45 my time speaking to the director of football at one we We've tried to keep things ticking over. We've had Zoom calls with the coaches and managers together. So we're talking about, you know, next season, we're talking about when this season resumes. I've reached out to the players recently on paid deferments. So I was liaising with the captain and a few of the leaders of the team. Um, I keep in touch with my CEO or CFO, talking about how we're budgeting and trying to get through this, talking about projections for what if, what if, what if. Um, one thing I did pretty early on last week was I said to my gaffer, This is usually the time of year we work on plan A and plan B. and Plan A would be budget next year championship, and plan B would be ship, we're in League One again. So we continue that process. I have my own private scouts that work for me, my analytics team. So I've been having those guys as well work with me, and we've come up with like players we're going to be getting in the summer for plan B, and players we're going to be getting in the summer for plan A. So we've been kind of keeping ourselves busy that. In the background, I've got my kids doing homeschooling and their routine and making sure they're in the pool every day at 4 o'clock. I've also been building Lego, believe it or not, because Legos are great for me. It, it, it's like a, a relief from stress. In other words, nothing's going on in my world but building a bit of Lego, so I'm just focused on that one thing for a couple of hours a day. So, And also, I'm a Netflix binger, and the new season of Bosch came out uh, the other day, so I basically binge-watched 10 episodes in like you know three days. So that's why I've been keeping busy.
0: And anyone who listens to your podcast, follows you on Twitter, or knows you in general, knows that yeah. you are determined to get this season finished, you've been in contact with the EFL about that. For people who won't have heard your thoughts before, why is it that you're so keen that this season needs to be finished once it's safe to do so?
1: Well, a few reasons, you know, and, and yeah, people will go, well, you're in a promotion race, you're going to say that, but I did, a, I did a thing on my Twitter feed, I went through all the people who were screaming at me about avoiding the season, and 96.5% of them I did an analytics thing were basically fans in the bottom four or clubs in the bottom six and given it the big one about people are dying and mortality, behave, we know exactly why you're screaming, to have the season voided. The same goes for some of the owners out there with their agenda about voiding the season. Um, We haven't finished the season. Why would you move on to a new season without finishing this one? We played football six weeks ago. Um, Things are now getting better in the UK. People are going to be getting out of lockdown and going back to work in a safe environment in some way. So why would we be calling time on a season when it's not done? And um, from a financial perspective, you got people screaming about, well, you know, we need to plan for next year and we can't be paying players when we've got no fans and it's behind closed doors. Well, well, that's great because you furloughed a lot of your players. So you got a government paying your players. So that's rich. You're telling me, you don't know, finish the season. I didn't furlough my players, so I'm still paying my players. And I didn't ha- ask the government to pay 80% of their wages to a certain level. And um, I believe in the integrity of our league. And I've said this before, God's honest truth, and, and I'm a Catholic. If Peter B. United were fourth bottom, I'd want to finish the season. I wouldn't want to stench on our record that we avoided a relegation because we basically voided the season out of an agenda. I wouldn't want that. The other thing I've argued strongly about, I'm sick of all the newspaper headlines because all it is, is is white noise. None of that's come from the EFL. It's just white noise that unsettles fans. And I don't think anybody needs to be mentally unsettled at the moment. You've got a lot of fans who are not in a good place. the one hope they've got is when football resumes, whether it's watching on a laptop or watching from wherever with a telescope, who knows? They want football back and they'll take whatever they can get. I'm sure you're the same. Just give me some live football on TV. You know, two weeks ago, I was watching Axe Throwing on ESPN. That's how desperate I was for like sports. So my feeling has always been our fans don't need this nonsense peddled out there, which is going to upset them even more. And we have a lot of older fans, and they're already isolated, and they're the worst because they've got their families with them. So now they're reading this bullshit every day about, oh, season's going to be we're or I could be able to finish, and there is no chance of promotion, and this season's a write-off. The other reason is a lot of people have invested fortunes this season to try and win promotion. And now everybody out there who failed this season, who are like in danger of being relegated, want you to write off the course of that and just move on to the next one. Well, I've got news for them, and it's something I'm going to do in them on podcast. I'm going to run through the price of not finishing this season, avoiding this season, and what it means for clubs and the legal aspect of it and what could be coming down the pipe. Because they're not really thinking about this logically. And, and I'll put it to you if I gave you 2 million quid to play 46 games next year in your back garden for me, and you completed 80% of that and then told me I'm not finishing the rest, what do you think is going to happen?
0: Well, you'd expect to give the money back, you'd be asking for the 20% back.
1: I'd have two of my friends knocking on your door at half eleven at night, yeah, with torches and balaclavas and getting my money back. That's a joke by the way. Yeah, you you would have to pay the piper. Same goes for if I sponsored you to do something and you complete at eighty percent. What do you think is gonna happen there? Same thing. So there is gonna be lawsuits, you know, people asking for money back. It will happen. And I know some people out there think, Oh, Sky wouldn't do that and this wouldn't do that. Well let me tell you, your sponsor's gonna do that, your fans are gonna do that. There will be a run on clubs for refunds. And the one thing you're not going to see in a pandemic is refunds. And those clubs who are furloughing players are basically running their club. They're not actually losing any money at the moment. All this nonsense about, oh, I need, to, I need DFL. I need someone to pay for me to finish the season. That's rich because they're actually, their overheads are very minimalistic. So if you've got a wage bill of 200 grand a month, and basically you're saving half of that or 60% of that and furloughing, and you're already getting your football income every month, you're actually not losing any money. So sitting right now at home in isolation, is not actually costing some of those clubs whinging the most any money. That's the irony in the whole thing. So I'm not not saying I'm IQ, intelligent, high here. All I'm saying is I see it for what it is. I'm a common-sense guy. I've always been a common-sense guy. I know their game. I know the game. I know the agenda. I know who's driving it. I know why they're driving it. And it just irritates the life out of me. Because I just think it's wrong. We have a league to finish. We should finish it. Um, And people have accused me, oh, you're a Liverpool fan and you're posh fans too. you're obviously... No, I, I, I'm a football fan, but I'm somebody invested in football uh, on both sides. And I'm telling you right now, the right thing to do is finish. And if we can get it done, and I think we can get it done inside of a month, it's nine games plus some playoff games. What's the big deal? You know, Give us some football. We can give people football. And if the lockdown's lifted on the 7th of May, is that, the, is that when they're thinking?
0: That's, that, that's the current, yeah, the next three weeks right. takes us so, to that. So there.
1: on the 7th of May, you're allowed out of your house to go and write newspaper articles and go and, and do what you do as a, as a journalist or whatever else. Why are uh, mine as a player, a football player, a football club employee not allowed to go to work? Or are, are we just meant to, like, everyone else allowed out, but we're meant to what? Stay at home. Well, it doesn't work like that in life, you know? So I would expect when the lockdown's lifted and people are allowed to go back and we've got to be cautious and do things right, I, I see no issue on why we can't reserve it.
0: You, you mentioned there about obviously a lot of the media stuff that's coming out about, you know, the latest one yeah, today has yeah. been about League One and League Two being regionalised, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we've seen about League One and League Two being scrapped and the Championship playing on and, and things like that. As an owner, is that tough for you to deal with? Do you get players and staff coming to you and saying, oh, we've read so so and so, we've heard so and so, is is this happening? Is it tough for you when all that speculation's going on and you I, I, have very I, steady.
1: I tell them to ignore the white noise. Andy Piley did an interview, God bless him. And he's saying the right things, and I agree with Andy from Fleetwood. And he was asked the question. And he said, logically, of course, we'd rather play Blackpool on a Tuesday night than travel and play someone in London on a Tuesday night. From that, they then gauge everyone who wants to regionalize our leagues. He's come out today on Twitter and gone, I didn't say everyone wants to do it. Someone's written an article off the back of that. I'm friends with a lot of journalists in the industry, big editors and newspapers. Yesterday when I started tweeting, I had all of them on to me. Tell us what went on in the league meeting. And give me the, and I, and I went back to them all you know, with a laugh and emoji going, why do I need to tell you according to all the articles you're writing you that before the meeting took place? So give over. And then I tweeted yesterday. And I said to my missus last night, we were having a drink. I said, you know, the irony about all these articles, I, I, I cannot believe what they're doing here. They're talking themselves out of jobs. If football is voided, and there's no football till September or October, if I own a sports newspaper, if I own a network, if I own something that employs loads of journalists to report on football, including you, what do you think I'm going to do with you guys?
0: Well, it's first, first people out, isn't it?
1: You're mm. gone. You're gone. Ninety percent of those journalists are going to be let go. So these guys are writing articles and talking themselves out of the job. Because I promise you, even the big papers and the big networks, including Sky, if they haven't got soccer or football for the next see, hey, the American I mean, soccer, if they haven't football for the next four or five months. They will bomb you out of the building. You're gone. You're on the unemployment line. So, somebody are actually talking themselves out of jobs. And that's what I don't understand. And I, and I tweeted that yesterday. Quite a few journalists I know retweeted them. Well, like, I absolutely agree with you. So, I just don't get the agenda from them, you know? And it's like scaremongering. I hate scaremongering. I said in my podcast the other day, I live in hope, I don't live in fear. And I hate people who try and play scaremonger scaremongering angle. There's far too many people out there who've got their own issues going on that don't need scaremongering right now. What they need is a bit of hope. And, and, and that's the camp I come from some people are like, well, you've got your own agenda. Now, my agenda is hope. And, and hope we get past this. Hope that we find a way to live again. Hope that we get back to playing football again. The beautiful game we all love. That's where I'm coming from.
0: A lot of the clubs that have come out publicly and, and commented on the current situation have been the ones who you've discussed or maybe the ones that are wanting to finish the season early. But I know you've, you've had support for your plans in terms of finishing the season, including from Sunderland.
1: Correct. I got a lovely email on Sunday morning. Mm. I I'm sure you won't mind me saying it. Richard Hill, myself and Richard have sparred over, you know, the Marcus Madison stuff, and, and that's football. And he emailed me and he said, oh, you've dug me out about Madison and I've come back at you, but that's football. And I said, yeah, absolutely, no problem, you know, because you can't fall out with people in football. I think Stuart Donald dug me out on Twitter about the Madison thing as well, and that irritated me because I'd always spoken in his favour, you know. But um, it was nice from Richard. He just said, listen, keep doing what you're doing everyone here at Sunderland is, is in full agreement with what you're saying. Um, so that was nice to have. I, Carl Robinson, the Oxford manager, last week Zoom with me because he wanted to get my feeling on it as a business person and talk to me about you know, how he should handle a few things. And it, was, it was nice to get, you know, I, he was one of four managers in the lower leagues who asked me for advice on how to handle players and clubs and you know, maybe they don't have the direct access to their as they'd like. So it's an uncertain time. So that, that was, you know, it was, I've been in the game 15 years. And a lot of these people you who know, want to cancel and void they have been around for five minutes. And, and I've been around the game a long time. And I think what's best for our game is the quicker we can get back to, when I say normality, getting our players training, getting our club doors open you know, for fans to buy tickets. And I mean, walking through the doors, I mean, online and pushing our, our merchandise that we can plan on. We're playing games in June. We're starting again in September, the next season. If we can start laying those platforms, and I spoke to the EFL about it yesterday, we can start laying the platforms, and if they change due to government advice, they change. We change them. But let's start laying positive platforms now, so that we can quash the nonsense talk about voiding. We can quash all the newspaper articles, and we can give everyone involved in football, from staff, players, uh, and fans, some hope. That's-
0: and what have the EFL been like in terms of their communication? Because from the outside, they've put a fair number of statements out. They've kept. They've tried to keep supporters up to date as best they can, obviously, when there's been, on the face of it, very it, minimal it, progression.
1: EFL are in a really difficult position because they have to wait for government guidance. So, but I know one thing, and, and, and I'm not going to go into it, but the EFL chairman actually rang me personally last night and we spoke for about half an hour. And I know that the EFL are firmly behind finishing up the season uh, and for, for the integrity of the game. And I know they're looking for solutions. And I know they're, they're looking to help clubs out. And I know they're trying to work with the PFA, uh, Rick Perry's doing a great job now, uh, and he's somebody who's going to be a good leader for the EFL. Uh, he's somebody I have a lot of respect for, and I think we're in good hands. But it doesn't help the EFL or him when you've got a lot of people out there with their megaphones who don't bother trying to pick up the phone and speak to him directly. And people will say, but you throw stuff out social media. I do, but I follow up. I don't just throw stuff out there. I actually also speak to the EFL, put my ideas to the EFL, have dialogue with the EFL. And, and, and then I give people an insight and the fans an insight into my mindset and what I think is right for the game. And having been in the game for 15 years, I feel I've earned the right, you know, to, to have those conversations. Whether you like me, hate me, despise me, troll me, you know, whatever, I've been around a long time in the game. You know, I've won promotions, I've been relegated, I've been in the championship, I've been in all the various leagues. I've sold more players than you've had hot dinner. So I, I, I know how the game works and hence why I feel my voice. It's not that it's an important voice, but it's a relevant voice.
0: And the EFL obviously have sent a well recently I think it was a fortnight ago now, sent a letter to clubs saying that, you know, May sixteenth was going to be the, the earliest to return a train yeah, and that they were targeting the fifty six days I think it was to, to finish the season. Is that what you do you think that's reasonable? Do you think that's attainable or do you think it can actually be done I, quicker?
1: I I think we can do it much quicker. I speaking to the other managers and whatever else in the league i think we can play on a saturday tuesday saturday uh, if, if we wanted to go saturday tuesday thursday saturday i think we could do that too so i actually think we could wrap it up quicker i think we could do it in three weeks um uh, and there are those in the game who actually agree with me. so you know not, and right now the aim is the 16th so to get back trained, i don't know excuse me germany have started you know training again and they're looking to play and of course Holland made a decision to avoid their league, so the press were all over that. Like you know, That was like the hot story. But I go by way of Germany and other countries. I know Italy want to finish up. I know Spain want to finish up, and they're the hardest-hit countries. I said to the EFL and everyone in there, take a lead from what America are going to do. American sports are big, and some great ideas from them, some terrible ideas also. But they're already planning and talking about baseball is going to start up, basketball is going to start up. They're even coming out with guidelines how they're actually going to start games again with people in stadiums, you know, mid to end of summer and and the safety ways of doing that. And there's some great, great, you know, ideas they've got on that. So there is a possibility that can happen. Because everyone right now on the scaremongering side is you can't have crowds, you can't have people in stadiums. But, you know, listen to the scientists, listen to the experts. There is possibly a way if you do it safely. And that could be with less crowds. That could be with temperature checking before people go in. That could be masks and gloves. It, it might not be the normal way we do things, but basically we could do it possibly in a safe environment. So there could be a way. And the other thing we have to decide as a society is are we going to hide for the next year and a half when we wait for a vaccine? Are we going to take risks? And unfortunately, in life life's all about risks. You can't hide it, not hide at home, be locked down at home forever. There's going to be put the most vulnerable away safely. And people who 99% are safe from it in a certain age group without any underlying conditions, should be able to go back to work in some sort of normal life.
0: The EFL, obviously, in that letter, I think, said they were working to the assumption that games would be played behind closed doors. But as you've said there, do you think d- d- there's a way that we could still see spectators at, at games?
1: I, I, I think when we, we resume this season, it'll be behind closed doors. Because obviously we want to kill this virus even more. We want to get it right down. And that might take us a few months. So I think initially, yes, behind closed doors, it's nine games, whatever it might be. And I think that August, September, with guidance, and we're looking at what America do and how it goes in America when you see them doing it. Um, I think there's a way we can do it safely. And I think there's a way we do it where there won't be these mass outbreaks. And I think if you do have hotspots and breakouts in the UK, because we will be better prepped, um, you know, from a hospital point of view and a therapy point of view and a PPE point of view, um, you know, having the equipment for everyone that's, that needs it, by that stage, we can handle those things better. And that's what this lockdown has been all about, is making sure that when you reopen and a hotspot blows up, you can go in and test and deal with it really quickly and drive the virus down. So I think we're going to learn a lot more as we go about. And the irony I was saying yesterday about this whole nonsense about voiding is, now's the time the debt rates are dropping, daily debts are dropping, hospitalization, everything's dropping and actually going the other way in a, in a positive way. And now more than ever, people are going, what a void, what a void, what to void. You Know and something also, you know, someone from the FL said to me was, you know, imagine we voided today and in two weeks, suddenly some magic pill came out or some magic therapy suddenly appeared on the horizon, and it's like, right, everyone, back to work, get yourselves out, we're done with this bloody virus. We just voided our whole season, and <laughs> we've got to wait five months now, four months to play football. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, and I know there's going to be a strong feeling from people and fans of like, we shouldn't be having that conversation, but like I said to you. live living hope not in
0: fear. You touched on it before about obviously some of Peter more senior players and staff have agreed to take wage deferrals you've not used the the government furlough scheme how important is it for you that your players agree to do that because I guess that shows a lot about the the characters you're recruiting and and the kind of people you're bringing into the club
1: Yeah we we furlough non-playing staff like most people have, because obviously not all of them, we still kept about twenty staff on that are key staff, CEO, CFO, marketing, whatever else, ticket office are still in full pay instead of the club. And we went down the route with our players of look, we want to prepare we want to prepare to succeed as opposed to prepare to fail. So we wanted to keep some sort of control over our players, the training and everything else. And we just felt, do we wanna go and, and put twenty eight footballers on the government payroll? Or do we want to try and keep it going? And that's where I'm coming from, an argument of I'm arguing to finish our season because we're actually paying players, as opposed to people arguing that we're furthering players, you know, or it's the other side of the argument, you know. Um, I just think it's really important for our players to be ready, and we're trying to keep them physically ready for when we're ready to go again. So that, that's where I'm coming from, from that point of view, you know.
0: And I know you've mentioned it on Twitter yesterday, but another big thing that's been said about players is obviously the, the contract situation and...
1: Uh, you asked me about the deferrals, sorry, I, I sorry, forgot oh, to say about the deferrals. So. Yes, so I, I reached out to my players about six weeks ago, five weeks ago to, to start the conversation. said we weren't doing it, but we will be, so I wanted to put it to some players' heads. So eventually we've come to an agreement with all our squad. of yesterday everyone signed off on it basically. There's a three-month pay deferment, it was, I'm not going to talk percentages, but it was a good percentage agreement by the players. Both sides came to it, I spoke to our captain, the players, our manager. Some were, were were good with it. Some weren't good with it at the start, and they came around. Our managers taking a 50% pay deferment. You know, some key members have done the same. Our CEO's done the same. A lot of people who care about the club, and the, and the lovely thing was, they emailed me about it. Some of the staff. You know, my CEO, my, my football secretary emailed and said, "Look, I I see the players are going to do it. We want to do this." You know, even our head of youth, who's on compared to football, is very you know it, it, a way different amount of money straight away. Was like, "Look, chairman, I want to defer." some of my wages, I think it's the right thing to do. What really wore my heart was one of our youth players, who's 17, he'd got his first pro contract three months ago. His dad contacted the club yesterday. He's on 250 quid a week, and his dad said, look, he wants to give up 50% of his wages. And I thought, you know, that kid's going to have a great career. Um, But we didn't take that. You know, I was just like, listen, no. Um, We've done it with the pros. He's a pro, but he's not on the kind of level most pros are on. But it was such a great attitude to see from one of our homegrown players, and um, do the right thing by his football club. He's been with us since he was nine, so that that warmed my heart to see things like that. I think all players who are not furloughed and who clubs who keep them on need to do the same. I don't know about Sunderland how they did it with their players, but
0: yeah, I think Sunderland used the furlough scheme, but they were topping everyone's wages up to hundred percent, so right. everyone still would right. be be paid the same amount. But Sunderland and a lot of other clubs, I'm guessing yourselves included, a have players out of contract on June the 30th but I know you said on Twitter yesterday that you think because clubs are still paying players into July even though their contracts expire that that shouldn't really be an issue with finishing the season
1: yeah so, so, so let's look at it that way if I, if I have a player right now like I've got um, let's take a goalkeeper I've got he's out of contract in the summer so he can start talking to clubs now normally they would sign a pre-contract and his contract wouldn't really start until either July or August with the new club but let's say he started a lot of clubs would be clever with this they'd go oh